Hello and welcome to a brand new episode at the end of the season of the Boys in Red and White podcast. My name's Tom Dow and I'm joined as always by my best friend Andre Grayson. Hello Mr Dow. You didn't even hesitate that time. Last time we recorded you uh, you eased me in, you sucked me in and, and made me feel like you weren't going to say hello Mr Dow but this week <laughs> you have done that expertly. Um, how, how are you Mr Grayson? Uh, I, I'm, I'm recovering, you know, letting go. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult time of year, the end of season, you sort of just have to get your head around, um, the fact you've got normal weekends again, I guess, but I'm feeling, um, like I might need this conversation we're about to have. Let's put it that way. How about you? Yeah, I I think similarly, similarly, um, I'm, I've, I've, I've gone through a wave of emotions since, uh, the last game of the season on Sunday. Um, and Obviously, there's been lots of thought about what could have been. There's been lots of thought about how far we've come as a club. But also, like you say, it's, it, it does take a bit of acclimatisation to, to work your way back to being a normal person that doesn't go to football every single week. <laughs> so, mm. I'm, um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how I've adapted so far, um, but I will, I will get there. Um, and then before you know it, it'll be start of the next season, won't it? So um, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, but I'm sure we've got an awful lot to talk about during this podcast because what what a whirlwind of a season it's been. Yeah, I actually don't know when we last spoke. Do you? Have we we could have looked that up beforehand. That would have been a really sensible thing to do, and would have made for top <laughs> professionalism in po- in the podcasting space. I will quickly. Look. I mean, we we um, we are but, we are outstanding at preparation. So. <laughs> yeah, twenty seventh of March. Okay, so the last time we did one of these, uh, we would have been top, I guess. Uh, let's have a look at the the results leading up to that. There we go. Ah, uh, uh, yes, we were talking in the international break after we just beaten Palace four one. We were probably. Uh, hypothesising about how many points could we accrue against Leeds, Liverpool, West Ham and Southampton before going into playing Man City away. And I think, you know, there is almost a symbolism in the fact we haven't been able to do a podcast, haven't been able to talk about it because those four games, Liverpool away, West Ham away, Southampton home and City away, were the end ultimately of the title challenge. And whilst we'll be a bit more reflective in this this podcast. I actually saw a great tweet, I can't remember who from, that said, I think the only time Arsenal fans really believed they'd win the league was 2-0 up at Anfield. And I agree with that. But even after we drew that, you felt, you know what, if we can go to West Ham and win, then a nice home bank of East Southampton, we can even still afford to lose to City. <laughs> <laughs> and win the rest of our games. And I just think, looking at it now, that Liverpool game was one thing, but I just think the West Ham, and it's so hard to say this, but I genuinely look, when I look back at this season, it having ended a few few days ago now, I think that Bakayo Saka penalty is the moment it changed. And I feel almost sick saying that. It's not blaming him, of course. Anyone can miss a penalty. He's missed two fairly big ones, if you ask me. But I just think if that goes in and you're 3-1 up against West Ham, you don't do what we did against Southampton. And then the City game is just different. 
So it's a very strange time, but would you agree that in those three games, somewhere in there is where we, we um, you know, the title fell apart somewhat? Yes. I mean, those were obviously... I, I'll, I'll sort of I'll sort of go through them in chronological order because obviously I I was at all of them um, and went through a wave of emotions throughout throughout all of them um, and absolutely agree with that tweet that you mentioned at the start of your uh, your statement that at t- two nil up at Anfield I think people started to believe and I hated it but there was a lot of Arsenal fans singing we're going to win the league and <laughs> I've, I've joked since then that the reason why we haven't won the league is because of those individuals <laughs> so i was not happy yeah. but um one of uh one of the people i was sat next to who is a um a mutual person that we know uh ryan um said that uh we were both shouting no no stop singing stop it stop it right now and it was um hard to hear and then obviously the anfield game Throwing a 2-0 uh, lead away at Anfield is is obviously disappointing and you want to be in a situation where you go where you take three points having been in that situation because there was a period in the first half particularly when we when we went 2-0 up where we were ripping them to shreds. We were so mm. on top and then obviously it kind of turned, the atmosphere got a little bit riled up and I know there were some people within the media who said it was to do with Xhaka confronting Trent Alexander-Arnold. Well, just, just get rid of him. Just get rid of Xhaka, is what I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but obviously that that was obviously disappointing the way that we sort of capitulate in that game but also you can kind of compartmentalise that one by saying well it is, it's Anfield Liverpool have this tremendous home record um, they have this ability to pluck results out of, out of thin air seemingly at Anfield so you kind of look at that and go okay well a draw there isn't, isn't too bad but the two games that cost us were the, the, the following games. Obviously, being 2-0 up at West Ham and throwing that away, that's that's unforgivable within a, a situation in a title race. And and also then to be 3-1 up down at home to Southampton, obviously we salvaged it and very almost won it. But that's also unforgivable. The fact that we've we've not beaten Southampton this year is incredible. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. Honestly. Like they they are such a poor team, and we've somehow taken two points from them this season. <laughs> so, um, so I think that, and then obviously the, the the city one. I mean, I I met you in the, in the car park before City, and <laughs> we we both didn't really believe. And although it was giving off the vibe of obviously this big Titans clash between like uh, the, the two heavyweights within the division. It didn't really feel like that to me and it didn't feel like that, I don't think, to you either because there wasn't many variables where we felt we were going to get a result at City. Um, so as much as everyone goes, well, that, that's what finished it, the ones that, the ones that did us were, were the games before that, let's, let's be honest. We wanted to go into the City game thinking we could ideally get a point or, or even a win, but knowing that if we lost, it wasn't the end of the world. And ultimately, we because of the previous games, we couldn't get to that situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things that's crazy when you look at a table now is that Man City home game where they played Bernardo Silva at left back. When I look at it now, if we win that match, we we win the league. Yeah. And 
you can talk fine margins, and we lost that game 3-1, fair and square. Tommy Asu makes a mistake he's never made before or since. Um, and I agree with you, you know, the four points against Southampton. What's mad is when you look at this season, you can see how and where we would have won the league. But I yeah. still think it requires you to be perfect. And I'm going to do as much of this podcast as possible um, with, without going into this. But I will just say this because I need to get it off my chest. I saw a lot of stuff from Liverpool fans saying, oh, yeah, it doesn't feel so nice, Arsenal fans, having City breathing down your neck. Duh, duh, duh. But but they didn't, in those seasons, have charges put against them. And I, I feel very strange having lost the title in the way we've lost it, where I do think we, you know, I do think we, we're not bottled the wrong word, but we, it, it, it got to us. And I think the game where it got to us was West Ham. Yeah. I really feel like we were stunted after we missed the penalty. It was one too, you know, one too many things um, adversely affected us. We, we did struggle in the face of adversity. But I do think that there's a very strange issue at the moment with the Premier League where there, you know, Pep Guardiola got manager of the year. And I was like, well, it's not so hard when you've broken the rule 150, rules 115 times. And it's really hard to not sound bitter, but... I do think that looms large over the losing and not ha- well, not losing, but not having won the Premier League this season. I sort of, in my head, I can't look past a lot of that. However, there's no question that I do think this team lacked what it took to get this over the line. Because despite all of that, despite City's you know unbelievable form, um, I do think in in the Liverpool. West Ham and Southampton games, City would have won against Liverpool 2-0 up. And even if they drew that, they definitely don't go and drop points at West Ham. And they definitely don't follow those two disappointments up with drawing at home to the worst team in the league. And by the way, for five minutes of that Southampton game, we were incredible and we nearly scored three and we were good for five minutes. Yeah. You know, and that's what I think drove everyone mad. Forget the City away game. I don't think we were ever winning that. There's no point reading into the Brighton or Forest games. Um, but almost unbelievably, if we'd have won those two, uh, we would have won the league. Um, <laughs> I, you know, which which they felt dead, didn't they? You know, yeah. when Brighton went 1-0 up, we were like, ah, well, that's the league. Fine, it is what it is. Actually, if we turn that round and then beat Forest, we win the league. And it is just showing you that this is on an absolute knife edge. Um, uh, I think, I think, yeah, I mean, we can't talk too much about all of this. I think it'd be good for us to get stuck into a few reflections. There's not too much to say on the last game of the season, really, is there? Other than Arsenal on the last day of the season, if you wanted to watch one team without pressure, um, we have been the best place to have a season ticket. I still remember when we beat... <laughs> I think Everton, we beat them like 4-1 with 10 men because she only got sent off. I was like 20 minutes or something ridiculous. Yeah, We're amazing at home on the last day of the season. We absolutely tonked teams. If we played like that all year, we'd have a trillion points. Um, I think, but the the thing is, is that confirmed that we, and I wanted to ask you about this. Can, can you believe that this Arsenal side has the record number of goals scored in our history in the Premier League. I mean, that single statistic alone, I cannot believe it. Um, it's mind-blowing, isn't it, that that sticks out of all the amazing attackers, players we've had. That's the one. This is the team that's managed to do it. What do, what do you make of that? 
I think it's testament to the progress we've made under Arteta. Because you look at even just, just last season and you look at how much we struggled to score goals in certain games and and just create chances. Like over the last couple of years prior to this season, that was very much a hallmark of this side that we we, we just struggled to create. And obviously there was there was issues at the other end of the pitch as well. But the fact that we've gone this season with a few signings that have just transformed us into this this new animal, and obviously we I'm sure we'll get onto players such as Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus, um, and obviously the development of players such as Saka and Odegaard. Um, but it's incredible, and like that's that's what is so fantastic to see because I'm going to go back to that Southampton game that you you just spoke about, and and we were we were terrible in that game, like like you said, and it but it was that five minute spell where we were we were unbelievable, and mm. I think what's happening is that we've got in most games there will be a period where we turn it on for a period of time, and obviously it's very difficult for any team that doesn't have 115 sanctions against them <laughs> to do that consistently across a 90 minute game. Mm. And I think we're starting to do that more frequently and more regularly. And I think that's obviously what's, what's so exciting. Now, obviously the, 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 the challenge now, and I, and I was speaking to one of my friends last night about this is that I don't understand people who can't see the progress, like how much progress we've made, but but also the journey we're going on, because you look at last year, we were a team challenging for the Champions League um, places, and obviously we didn't quite get there. We know that, um, and then we've just reassessed, gone into it again, tweaked our squad, and then got a squad capable of challenging for the title, which is incredible. Mm. Um, but a big fallback of that has been the fact that we, we've not had quite the depth within our squad to manage with that. And we've spoken about this many times, that there's been so many examples of where taking one component out of our side and the whole team just falls apart. <laughs> and that's what we need to get away from. And I'm thinking, one of the examples that comes out to me, and I think there was a stat the other day about Man City making like 80-odd changes to their ta- team throughout the year, and we made like 30 or something. So it's it's a huge difference. But when when City do that, they have one the players to come in and make that difference. But two, they they rotate in a way that their players are ready to come in. And the example mm-hmm. I come back to is when we lost at home to City, we brought Tommy Asu in, who hadn't played in a, a few months consistently, instead of Ben White, who was struggling for a bit of form, and it was noticeable. And I I think if he has a run of games or at least a bit more consistency in his in his football I don't think he makes that mistake that he made on that day mm-hmm. um so I think that's obviously a factor as well but I think the exciting thing about it is that all the noise coming out of the club particularly Arteta and Edu is about making sure that we make that next step and I think the next step is having a squad that you can start to rotate and use different members in different situations depending on obviously the the teams you're playing against. So that's what's really exciting for me. Don't get me wrong, I'm nervous about next season because obviously it's a new challenge with having Champions League football and having to perform midweek and perform on 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 the weekend. Whereas we've previously been able to just chuck whatever team we want into the Europa League and then just go and play our normal team on the on the weekend. Um, so I'm I'm excited but also a bit apprehensive about what the future may hold with that. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm trying not to think too much about next season because yeah. ultimately, <laughs> um, when all is said and done, I just think that it is going to be harder next season. But when you look at this season... There's just been too many highs to not enjoy it for what it was. Absolutely. And if you're already thinking about next season, just just don't even bother. Like the, the, the full, <laughs> all the cups haven't been decided yet, and I think that's that's the biggest metric for me that I sort of focus on. Is look, hopefully we can have an amazing summer. I don't really want to talk about transfers today. I'd rather look back at what what has been one of the most incredible seasons. And 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 you know, one of the things, Tom, for us that I think people would struggle to understand is following Arsenal in the way we do, home and away, we worked out between us that we only haven't been, you or I, in attendance for Bodo away and Zurich away. So that means out of the 49 games, you and I were at 47 of them, either one or both of us. And it has just been nearly every game, except I'd say Forest away, the away end atmosphere has been incredible. It has been so good to follow the club. And I think expectations will change next season and that might change. But if we can keep that going in the away ends with North London forever before games, with the Ashburton Army, with the atmosphere at home games, that is what it's about. And I think that's, I just believe again, I go into games believing there's a way we can win. I agree with your point. City, no. That was probably the one we felt, ah, yeah. a lot's got to go our way here. It's just not. And, and they were a cut above, and they are a cut above. And and again, you know, let's not be boring about it, but whatever, however they've assembled the squad, they do have a cyborg up front yeah. and the greatest <laughs> creative midfielder the Premier League has ever seen, yeah. in fairness, in De Bruyne behind him. So, you know, and they've and they dropped De Bruyne. Dropped is the wrong phrase. They rested De Bruyne in games you cannot believe they're resting him in, and they win them three 0 And you know, can you imagine us trying to win a game without Odegaard, Saka, and Martinelli? It, it, we we just wouldn't win the game. We've yeah. seen that. We've seen that with Martinelli out. You saw fo- the team we played against Forest. Unless Saka was absolutely bang on it, we're not winning matches. So. There's a huge way to go, but my God, it's exciting. And people forget we're the, the youngest team in the league. Yeah. And if we're, you know, one of the big problems we've had has been Granite Xhaka in that we can't seem to play without him. But in a game where we desperately need something different, he can't find the keys. He hasn't got them to, to, to pick the lock. And if we get someone there and still maintain stability, uh, there's no reason we can't challenge again. But I think, I think, Talking of uh, the great man, Granite, one of the things I'd, I'd love to ask you and start is, who has actually been your player of the season? And, and you can be, you can take this in whatever direction you want, by the way, because you can do, yeah, it doesn't have to be who everyone else would pick. Like, who have you enjoyed watching the most this season? I think this is obviously, for, for our five listeners who... <laughs> Pay attention regularly. I don't think this is going to be all that surprising who I'm going to pick. Um, but there, there's just to sort of preamble what I'm going to say. There's so many different stories that have come out of this season for um, performances. And obviously, Saka has just been incredible for the vast majority of the season. We look at um, Granite Xhaka's revival and how how integral he's been. But I think everything that is knitted together about this side... There's two players that I that I go to that I think 
represent what Arsenal need to do. And I think Martin Odegaard is is my player of the season, hands down. Um, and I think that's because he's just he's just so key to everything we do. And there's still there's still areas of his game where he can assert himself even more which I think is so exciting for such a young player. But I think as Arsenal captain, he embodies everything about this squad that that we we love, which is the enthusiasm, the drive, the determination. And all of that together, he knits together. And, and ultimately, if he doesn't play well, we struggle. And I think mm. that's that's the biggest metric you can you can have about um, his performances in, in an Arsenal shirt this year, that if you take him out, it's it's a it's such a huge drop off to let's say Fabio Vieira or Emil Smith Rowe when he's fit, and obviously that's probably a bit of an unfair one because of all the fitness issues he's had had this season. But we really struggle without Martin Odegaard in the side, and and I just I just I love watching him play. I think he's such a silky footballer. Um, everything he does is just is just classy. He barely, he rarely loses the ball. He's just he's just incredible. I love him. Um, and then the other player who I think is worth noting as well, who I think has had a really really good season, um, is Gabriel at centre back. Um, mm. I think I think he's been tremendous. Um, and I think as much as obviously we 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 noticed the absence of William Saliba, who we'll come on to later, I'm sure. Um, William Saliba coming into the side has been nothing short of sensational. But Gabriel has been the Stand, uh, the the guy who's always there, he's always there. He gets you a goal every now and again if you need them. You look at the two that he got against Fulham, um, and they were obviously important goals for us. But I think he's just he just embodies the defensive capabilities that we've sort of shown as well this year. And if we can sort of continue to build on that and build that partnership between Gabriel and Saliba even more, then I think it's very exciting. So those would be the two that I'd sort of pick out. What about mm. you? I was going to say, Gabriel was going to be well up there for me. I mean, Odegaard, the record number of goals, non-penalty goals by a midfielder um, in the Premier League. What a captain, what a player, what a leader. And I I honestly love watching Martin Odegaard. He is the player you just want to see. And and it won't go into favourite goal or anything like it. But his strike at Tottenham was just Martin Odegaard all over. That whole goal, actually. The second goal we score against Tottenham, for me, embodies our season. Because when Thomas Partey is on it, he he is incredible. And, you know, I I don't know how much he comes into a conversation for player of the season. Because when he drops off, he drops right off. (laughs) Um, But when he's good, he's so... There's no in-between with him, is there? (laughs) He he, He is nine or he is two. (laughs) <laughs> like there is no, there is no, there is no middle ground for Thomas Party, um, but he ch- clips the ball over to Saka, who's got his fullback yet again on toast, um, and Odegaard bangs it in from twenty five yards. Um, but having said that, my player of the season, it's really tough because I, I just love, I love this team. Like Aaron Ramsdale has been incredible, but there's yeah. still been moments where you go, Aaron, you, you cannot do that, Sunshine. <laughs> you cannot, in the first minute, pass it to a Southampton player. You just yeah. can't do it. Um, Sack has been unbelievable, but I I am tempted to go with my player of the season. I, I probably would say Odegaard, but for difference, I'll say Martinelli. And I'll say Martinelli because... 
he isn't the cleanest to watch. He actually um, technically doesn't. He, he, he's just all about goals. S- Saka will hold the ball. He could hold the ball forever. Martinelli can't, but he'll go at a fullback. He terrifies defences. I think my favourite Martinelli moment is the goal against Liverpool in the first minute, where all they were worried about was Martinelli on Alexander-Arnold. And he shows why in 50 seconds. He blasts past him like he's not there. And he is just, he's so threatening. He is our most direct player. And I normally like a bit more of a technician. I mean, I do prefer Odegaard. He is my player of the season. But I'll say Martinelli because I think when he got injured against Brighton, you saw, and Leandro Trossard does deserve a mention somewhere in our season, but you saw the difference in having a technical player out there versus the directness of Martinelli. Um, I, I, I just think, what a player. And so young, future committed to Arsenal. What an exciting time to have a player like him in our team. I, I, I love him. I think he's been amazing. Yeah, he's been great. Um, like I said, there's so many stories that you can just pick out of mm. this of this young side. Um, uh, and Martinelli's just, I mean, there's so many moments that I think of, but I, but I agree with you that his first thought is always, can I go forward? Can I get closer to the goal? Can I score? Like that's, that's, that's all that goes yeah. through his head. And I think it's really good to have that balance of having players who can hold the ball like Saka, like Odegaard, who are a bit more, um, patient, but also it's nice to have that balance with that guy on the left who's just like, no, I'm getting the ball, I'm going forward. And sometimes it's infuriating mm. because obviously you get to a situation occasion where you're just like, just calm down, Gabby. All right, just calm down, mm-hmm. mate. And he never does. <laughs> um, but it's it's really really fantastic. And um, like the, I, I was watching someone shared uh, a YouTube video, which is all the goals we've scored this season. Um, if you've not seen it, I will send it to you later, Andre. It's, um, Please do. It's 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 so good to watch. It's just, it took me through like an emotional wrangle, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was um it was fantastic to watch. But the one that really stuck out to me with Martinelli was when we were down on the south coast on New Year's Eve watching uh, Arsenal win oh. Brighton, and the pass from Odegaard just to combine oh. our two players of the season. The pass from Odegaard to set Martinelli away is incredible, but then. They changed the angle of the camera to show that he needs to roll it across to Saka, who has a tap in, <laughs> and <laughs> and it made it made me laugh because obviously he's so fortunate that he scores because if he doesn't score, he's getting one hell of a rollicking from Saka <laughs> because <laughs> all intents and purposes in that situation he should be squaring it, but mm. that's why we love Martinelli because he he just wants to score. He wants to be successful in that. So mm. that's the one that, that's the one that really shone out for me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, actually, it leans on quite nicely. So uh, uh, favourite goal. Now, favourite isn't best and it doesn't have to be for the biggest moment, although that will come into it. And I think, you know, mine. Um, but what what when you look back at the season, is there a goal that you go that is either that is Arsenal or that was the moment for me that I I believed, or just wow what a team or what a player is there is there a goal that stands out to you? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna reverse this quickly just because I don't want I don't want to jump on your toes. <laughs> so if, if you tell <laughs> right. me yours and then we'll and then we'll yes. go that yeah, route. Yeah. 
Because I think Ge- I know Georgie- what yours is. Yeah. George Georgidio <laughs> at Miller Park. <laughs> and, and and the reason I say that is because I think we were so much better than them. And when I look back now, that game was actually and, and a lot of people said it but just didn't feel it at the time. When you go and have gone up and down the country for years and years and years on end, and you have watched us lose everywhere, when you get those moments in a title race, there's literally nothing better. And away from home is always better than at home. Always. It's just, I don't, I can't explain why. The Reese Nelson goal, obviously, you may talk about it, is obviously incredible and in many ways more emotional and better. But the fact that we, we're against a former manager, the fact the player who scores it, no one really wanted. The fact it doesn't, it's not even his goal. He hits the bar and it, he, he hits a shot he should never hit. The angle is all wrong. He hits it across it. It could have easily gone out for a throw-in. It is the most perfect strike. And I've said this to you, there was just enough time. We were literally in line with that goal line. There was just enough time for it to come out that I went, oh my God, we've hit the fucking bar in the last minute. We've blown it. I can't believe it. To it hitting Emmy Martinez who was wasting time, who has left us, who can't stop talking about us, to hit the back of his head and trickle in. Oh, that was pandemonium in the away end. And 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 it was so chaotic and so brilliant and so ridiculous, all those factors together, that nothing else comes that close. It was so far my moment of the season. Cracking parking spot by Villa Park. Twenty minute walk. <laughs> but it's all those things. It's all those things that just makes it so so special. Because really, we we felt at two nil, two one down at half time. I remember James coming over to where we were and going, "It's done, isn't it?" And sort of being like, "Yeah, if we can't turn this round, it really is." The Zinchenko goal first for the club, but then the Jorginho moment. I mean, that is just for me, number one. And that is why I didn't want to jump on your toes. (laughs) (laughs) Because you've described that absolutely beautifully. Um, And it's taken me right back to Villa Park. It's taken me right back to that moment. And it was was absolutely incredible. Um, The weigh-in went went off. It was was tremendous. Okay, so I'm going to go a different route than I was initially going to go down. Because initially, the the two that stand out are obviously the Jorginho at Villa Park and Reese Nelson at the Emirates. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to to talk about the Reese Nelson moment um, briefly, because obviously that was incredible. I've, I've never heard the Emirates like that. I've never seen those sort of reactions from the players. Obviously, we'll talk about different ones like the, the, the Welbeck header at home to to Leicester. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about um, Barcelona at home, um, the Arshavin goal, and there are there are great examples. But I think just for pure emotion, pure explosion of tension, and everything everything else you want to you want to mention, I don't think anything really is comparable to that Reese Nelson moment because. Again, that was another mm. game where it was 2-2 and we thought, it's done, isn't it? 
Like we, as much as there's a lot of the season still to go, it felt very, very important that we got a win there. And at two two, having been two 0 down, it just felt like that was that was probably going to be the game that started derailing us a little bit. And then to come back the way we did and get the two goals, and then the fact that obviously Smith Rowe had come on, didn't really make an impact, and then got replaced by Reese Nelson. And I think a lot of people from outside Arsenal and also within Arsenal were looking at that and thinking, Reese Nelson, you need two goals and you bring on Reese Nelson. And he gets an assist and then obviously does that with the last kick of the game. And I just, I couldn't believe it at the time because there was on my row, there was six people had left and I could not believe that they were leaving because <laughs> it wasn't like it was, it was done. Like it, there was like, there was people leaving around me with like 10 minutes to go. And it's just like you surely you sense that something might be happening here. And obviously, I'll be honest, like I'd I'd given up hope at when that corner came in and been and been cleared. I had given up hope. But I was still in the ground. And then that's worth your season ticket admission alone for that feeling and that sensation on the back of that goal. It was mm-hmm. incredible. So mm. that would be my goal of the season or the moment of the season. However, Another one which I want to give an honourable mention to was when we went to Stamford Bridge before oh. the international, uh, before the World <laughs> Cup, and it's a really scrappy goal because obviously the corners come in, and then Gabriel literally on the line has booted it into the roof of the net, <laughs> and then again pandemonium. But I think that was what that was the moment when I thought, hang on, we're onto something special here. Because although we'd beaten certain teams at home, we'd beaten, um, I think at that point, we must have beaten Liverpool at home, we'd beaten Tottenham at home, we'd beaten, uh, we'd, we'd been consistent. But I don't think it was until that one when, I know Chelsea have been terrible this season and they are a terrible side. But mm. to go to a place like Stamford Bridge, and although we've got a good record there in recent years, to go there and put a performance in like we did and dominate from start to finish, and come away with a win, I think that was the moment that I was like, we could be onto something special here. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because it just felt it just felt very sort of symbolic. And I love a scrappy goal from a centre-half. <laughs> and I love the fact that everyone ran to Saka because they thought he'd gone directly in. And Gabriel seemingly was the only one that, that saw that he was <laughs> scoring it. And I love that everyone ran past Aubameyang. <laughs> and, and I love the fact that the crowd was singing um, <laughs> Mikel Arteta he knew you're, he knows you're a cunt <laughs> there were so many positive things about that day but I think that that was a moment for me that was really lit up our season it, it was incredible and that was a spectacular moment I mean there's a few I'll just rattle through a few because I've got the fixtures in front of me that, that, that need to be talked about. So, um, Gabriel against Fulham. Yes. Um, very early on in the season. Uh, I'd, I'd also probably chuck in Saliba the day the Saliba chant was born, bending one in with his left foot on the south coast at Bournemouth. That He was going to be my honourable mention for that goal. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Fabio Vieira, a blaster against Brentford. Yeah. Xhaka making it 3-1 against Spurs. Uh, I'd probably chuck in Eddie's goal against Manchester United yes. um, to make it 3-2 was was wonderful. Um, 
there's so many moments that just stand out. Uh, I'd say they're a good selection of them that we've covered. There was they, they are as well. Just sorry, sorry to interrupt, but like I'm I'm sitting here listening to you reel off these moments, and I'm just smiling. And yes, I, it just feels it feels so good to celebrate this season as opposed to looking back on what could have been. Um, it, it really does fill fill me with pleasure and fill me with joy that we we've had this experience this year. And I say it every year, but it's it's made ever more prominent by the fact that I get to do these things with you because Absolutely. it's so fantastic sharing these moments with someone. It's great going. I, I don't I don't have any issues going to a game on my own. I've done it many times, but <laughs> it's some it's something else going with your best friend and and both wanting the same thing and being able to share those moments. So I do say it every year, but I, this year has been particularly prominent. It has, it has, it definitely has, it definitely has, and that that leads on quite nicely. It's it's going to be really hard, by the way, to separate this. But let's try and reel in some other factors um, beyond just the game itself. But what what has been your favourite match of the season? Oh, again, I'm, I'm I'm struggling with this one because there's there's so many different things. I think in terms of favourite match. I, I think personally, when we went to Tottenham and won two 0 there, because as you oh. know, I hate the North London derby. I hate the whole thing that it is. I hate going there. I hate the day. I hate the build up. I hate the entire week before the North London derby. And I think I've said on a podcast before, if I could get rid of one fixture a season, it would be that. <laughs> um, but it's something else when you can enjoy it after the fact. And obviously, going two 0 up there. Um, singing about Antonio Conte was was tremendous. Oh, watching you, watching you on the stairwell, smashing the sides to make as much noise as possible, um, was incredible in the build up to the game, um, and it was brilliant. Uh, and I think I I really struggled to look past anything than that because although when we went two 0 up, I don't think anyone in in the uh, in the ground was thinking right, it's done because. Obviously, Tottenham, particularly at that point in the season, had made themselves famous for their second half revivals. <laughs> and mm. we stood firm. OK, we gave up a few chances and we held out. And I think what made it even better um, in the celebrations after the game, obviously the players all came over after that little scuffle with Richarlison and, and the idiot fan that came and kicked Ramsdale. Um, but my favourite moment of the entire day was... Gabriel Martinelli throwing the scarf up and getting it on the oh. camera that was um, in the middle of the uh, the Tottenham arena <laughs> and mm. watching that just float off into the distance was absolutely incredible and it felt really, really symbolic. Um, so I think that was my my match of the season purely because of how the whole day... The whole day was brilliant because obviously you and I went to the Arsenal women's game against Chelsea at the Emirates in the morning mm -hmm. Um, then we went and had a delightful lunch at Pizza Pilgrims, <laughs> and then and then went over to the shithole. And it was, I don't know. This it's when you go to Tottenham away, it's it you feel you you know you're entering into enemy territory, even when you're not wearing colours. Like you're you're keeping yourself mm -hmm. to yourself, you're keeping your head down, um, and you can just sense everything around you. And I just loved, I I I loved all of it having experienced it and at the end of it. <laughs> uh, uh, 100%. That is that is a top, top shout. I'm going to really struggle to beat it, to be honest. Um, 
I can't beat it, basically. But I will go with... I will go with... Um... <laughs> I, I, I'm t- <laughs> I was tempted to say PSV away for a laugh, uh, but it's not true. That was a terrifying experience. Um... <laughs> <laughs> what I will say instead is... Do you know what? I'll go with... Uh, I'm just going to double-check something here. Check I'm right on this. I'm going to go with Leeds away. Now, the reason I'm going to go with Leeds away is not quite for the, the reason um, anyone would expect. Yes, I am right here. So it was a horrible game. We conceded a penalty shortly after half time. They put it wide um, after Saka scored a brilliant goal. It was by far, actually, I think our worst display away from home, um, but still managed to win. And... Sorry, I've got a dog trying to get off my lap. He he he's still thinking about that penalty from Leeds away. Um, <laughs> and uh, but on the way home, it was Liverpool v Man City, and it was one of the games where you, Johns, and I got to go to. Um, and we met up with a couple of other people up there, saw lots of friends. So I really felt like there was a real camaraderie building. It's sixteenth of October. It's a Sunday. We've driven up to Leeds. We've had a great run up there. The sun is out. I'd never been to Elland Road. And we go there and win scrappy three points. And on the way back, we're listening on the radio to Mohamed Salah scoring against Man City. And where the car is shaking, we are celebrating so wildly down the M1. And it was just that moment that, oh my God, we're back. This is what it feels like. This is what it feels like to be in a title race. This is when it matters. Your game matters, but their game matters. And it's going our way. And ultimately it didn't. But those little checkpoints in the season that make you feel like we're bloody, we're, we're bloody back. We're, we're bloody back um, <laughs> is exactly what I'm here for. Because yeah. we are, look, we might not be. And I know everyone's scared about this, but I really think we're here to stay for at least two, three years with this team. But it was just such a great day. To your point, whereas is it better when you share, you know, sharing it with you? We shared it together, but then we shared that moment too. And it was like, oh, this is amazing. This is literally amazing. Um, I just think that day combined was so special. But I know ultimately not quite what we wanted, but I love things like that. And remembering days like that, that, yeah, our game was horrible, but we won. They lost and it really mattered. Yeah. Um. I'll go first on the next one, by the way. Um, So, okay, I'm going to go with biggest disappointment. I think we've kind of covered most improved. Yeah. And this is really hard. Do we do it by a match? Do we do it by a player? I'm going to do it by... um, I'm going to do it by saying that the fact Frank Lampard didn't have enough time to take Chelsea down... Is by th- no, I'm uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think the one for me is that Emil Smith Rowe, and it does sound like now he's going to stay at the time of recording, um, didn't really get a look in in any way, shape, or form returning from injury. I, I just love watching him, and we did look light on the ground in certain games, but I think a mixture of that. And William Saliba getting injured. Yeah. And what that then led to at the same time as Tommy Asu. That did feel, that sporting Lisbon game 
and I was fine to go out. I know you weren't, but I was more <laughs> fine. But I think that game, that moment, was by far my biggest disappointment. And maybe that's easy to do in retrospection. But I remember leaving that ground going, if Saliba's out and Tommy Asu's out, I don't think we're going to win the league. Yeah. And and it was, you know, it's easy to say it now, but it did feel like that's the moment in time. That's the moment in time. Um, so, yeah, I'd have to say that. What about you? I think it's it's very hard to look past that. as And obviously, like you say, retrospectively, it's very easy to look at the point it all changed. And ultimately, that is what happened, though. Like, Saliba and Tommy Asu being out. Because I, I'm absolutely... I, I don't think there's any question that if Tommy Asu was available, he would have come in and Ben White would have moved to centre-half and we would have been far more comfortable than we have shown in recent recent weeks at the back. So I think that's what would have happened. But I think another disappointment for me was the way that Thomas Parsi just fell off a cliff. <laughs> like, I think he, like we said earlier, he can be absolutely incredible. And when he is on form, he's nothing short of sensational. And when he's not on form, he is appalling. <laughs> and I think he's shown that side of him at the absolute wrong time. Because I remember, like, obviously, like, for those of you that listen, um, will know that I'm a, I'm a PE teacher. So, obviously, I deal with young people all the time. And young people invariably have really stupid opinions on football. <laughs> and some of the opinions I've had to field this year have been very, very difficult for me to sit there and listen to. And what I would say is that party at one point, was putting himself out there as one of the best defensive midfielders, certainly in the league, but probably around Europe as well. And what was hard is that I had many arguments with kids at school about about his, his prominence within the Arsenal side. And then towards the end of the season, obviously, he's not been performing as we know he can perform. And also... Um, Jorginho coming in has sort of helped him, but party falling off a cliff for me has uh, really highlighted the, the probably a big disappointment for me. <laughs> yeah, I think that's an unbelievably good shout um, and very, very fair. Um, interesting. Yeah. Don't argue with kids, Tom. It's not worth it. Um... <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Because the, the argument I had, the argument I had was um, at the time when Party was for me. I I think he was hands down the best defensive midfielder at that point of the season in the league, and he was. I was having an argument about Casemiro basically, and a kid was saying, "Well, Cas," and a kid said to me, "He was like Casemiro has won this many European trophies." I was just like, "Yeah, but I'm not talking about what he's done. I'm talking about at this present moment in time, who is performing better." That's all I was basing that on. And the kid was just like, "What? You don't think it's important? He's won the Champions League?" I was like, "No, I, I didn't say that. That's irrelevant. <laughs> I'm talking about what he's doing now." And I'm not saying Casemiro has not had a good season for Manchester United because I think it's it's very obvious that he's had an impact there. But at that point in the season, so in the mid, the early to mid part of the season, Party was just incredible. And I think we spoke about the podcast where we said that he was probably up there with the the, the most integral parts of our team, and particularly when it came to a point where 
Tomiyasu and Ben uh, and Saliba were out injured. There were some people that were talking about party going to right back, which ultimately happened towards the end of the season. But at that point in the season, it was for me unfathomable that he could play at right back, given mm. how important he was in the middle. So I think that's that is the biggest disappointment for me because I think it's it had a huge effect on our end of the season. Hmm. I think that's very, very, very fair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, what? What? Um, what? What are you most surprised by? Very, very, very open-ended question. Very open-ended. I'm taking this very open-ended, by the way, because go the, for it. The thing that surprised me the most, and this is going to sound really bizarre based on how how limited his opportunities have really been. I've been really surprised by Reese Nelson because okay. we went, and I've, I've, I've got a, a bit of background for this. So like the start of the season, obviously we knew he was involved in the squad because basically because he'd been injured and he was going to miss a chunk of the season. So there was no way of moving him on. And I think most of us kind of expected, well, he's not really going to be in the first team. Really? He's not really going to have any impact. And I've been really impressed with how much he has delivered, not ju- uh, just in in key moments. Like obviously, we look at the Nottingham Forest home game when he came on and he he scored two goals, and that was a position when Saka went off injured. We were all worried that that was that was going to be a difficult game, and obviously he came in, did his business, did his job, absolutely great. And we look at the Bournemouth game as his his moment and I, I don't think it's unfair to say that as long as he's in in an Arsenal shot I think he does very well to match that moment and mm-hmm. that he, could he won't yeah he won't that that that's probably going to be his take home from his Arsenal career regardless of how long he's at the club and but I've just been really impressed with how when he comes on he just looks so assured he looks like he wants to take on defenders and I think he's shown that he's a really viable option to have within the squad. Now, I'm not for a minute saying that he's going to usurp Saka and Martinelli um, or even Trossard, um, but I do think there's there's a role for him within this squad. And I think all, all the noise is that he's he's due to sign a new contract, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. And I, I've got absolutely no issues with that. And I think he's been a really pleasant surprise because it's something I had literally zero expectation for. And, I like that. And he's come in, and and because he's an Arsenal lad, obviously he's come through the academy. It's a really, really nice story that you've got another academy graduate within the within the first team. So I think that's that's been a really nice surprise for me. Yeah, I like that one a lot. I like that one a lot. Um, I don't know where to go with this. I'm I'm gonna I'll, I'll just canvas a couple, but I think I think what surprised me most the, the drop off of Liverpool. Yeah, combined with. Newcastle, where they've finished with, I still think a very bang average squad. Yeah, and just just Chelsea and Spurs. I, I literally cannot believe how bad they are. It's great, um, isn't it? <laughs> and it is, it is, it is, but it is shocking. It is, yeah. it's genuinely shocking. And this is why I think people are scared about next season because they're like, well, these teams can't be that bad again. What I find crazy is how people like I've seen people putting bets on for Arsenal to not get top four. I was like, well. We've probably got a bit more of a chance of getting it in the Newcastle. Like, can we just have a second, like, to just... Who, who's who's coming in the top four ahead of us? Newcastle got to deal with Champions League. Like, we're worried about it. They'll be terrified, right? Yeah. Well, not terrified. It'd be amazing for them and 
And even though I hate them, by the way, winning 2-0 at Newcastle was up there as a game of the season for me. (laughs) (laughs) I love love your pure, pure hatred for Newcastle United. I hate (laughs) Newcastle on on top of everything else now as well. But I'm going to go with Ben White at right back. Um, Because I, 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 I just think that he has been incredible. I think he's been the best right back in the league. I think Kyle Walker is the best right back, if that makes sense. But yeah. I think he has been the best right back. You'd rather have Kyle Walker, I guess is what I'm saying. But the consistency, the link up with Saka, the stability on the ball, the quality in possession, the defensive capability. The shithousery. <laughs> oh, well, I just... <laughs> <laughs> He is he is my kind of player in that respect. Um, but just not once have you gone, why is surely Ben White could could should be a centre half? He has been a phenomenal right back this season. Absolutely exceptional. Um he's in a list of players who could be up there for player of the season. A model of consistency. Yeah, one or two bad games. Um, but who who hasn't? But Ben White at right back has been inspired. It makes me feel very confident about Arteta's capability to spot that in someone. Um, the fact we can do that, that's what Wenger used to find as a player for one position and, and they just blossomed into another. If next season, you know, the rumours about Saliba, if we've got to get rid of Saliba, Ben White as centre-half and getting a great right back will do just fine. You know, yeah. as great as Saliba's been. Um, but as we, as we round off, I'd just say this. It has been by far the best season of my life in respect of going to games. Um, It's been a joy to spend it with you. It's been a joy to organise all the beers pre and post match and the drinks and the lunches and the travelling. There is something so special about following a club. And the fact that this is the first year, it feels like they've given back to us in a long, long time. I mean, my first season, this is my 10th year of a season ticket. I got it in 12-13 when Wilshere um, scored that goal against Norwich for context. That was the first year of my season ticket. And I remember you and I have had chats, you know, when do we think we'll next win the league? The fact we got to taste what it might feel like, and I know we didn't, but the fact we got to dream and believe and hope and discuss and think about every permutation, it's been the most beautiful thing to experience. Um, And as I said on Instagram, it might not be, is it about the journey or the destination? And that was that was from All or Nothing, where Mikel Arteta says it's a Lacazette and Lacazette gives him the wrong answer he wants. Or is it the friends we made along the way? It is about the fucking winning. But we won 26 out of, out of 38 in the league. We beat Spurs home and away. We beat Chelsea home and away. We beat Man U at home, Liverpool at home. There's a fucking... Qatari machine being ruining our league that we couldn't usurp. So fine, we couldn't. But honestly, I often question, you and I do this, why on earth do we do this? This is why we do this. There's nothing like this. There's nothing else like this in life that gives you these moments, that gives you the Jorginho, the Reese Nelson, or, or looking at a player blossom like the way Saka has. You know, it's just... It's just a brilliant, brilliant time to be an Arsenal fan. And I feel like I've been waiting about 15 years to say that. So <laughs> I, I guess thank you, Mikel Arteta, is all I can say. And, and here's to an amazing summer. And, and um, I'm sure we'll have lots to talk about during it.
Yeah, I think I think that's a that's a really wonderful uh, monologue to end end the podcast on because that's uh, that's summed up I think everyone's feelings as uh, as Arsenal supporters. So thank you for that, Andre, and thank you very much for your time as always. It's been a pleasure to record this podcast. I think it will be a, it would probably be a good idea to try and have a few more over the summer because obviously, <laughs> yeah. We we have an opportunity now where we don't see each other every five minutes. Um, so it would be nice to record a couple more podcasts, particularly looking at maybe what the summer represents and uh, expectations for the upcoming season, which we obviously uh, didn't go over today. But that's been wonderful to reminisce about this fantastic season. And long may it continue under the reign of Mikel Arteta because it really does feel like we're, we could be onto something very, very special. Um, so thank you for your time, Andre. And I look forward to doing another podcast with you very soon. The pleasure is all mine, my friend. Thank you very much. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>